Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. God has been so very good to us again, amen, to bring us into his presence and uh, give us another opportunity to lift up his name and praise. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, for this reason, we ought uh, to do our best to live a righteous life. You know, God declares that we are righteous. Now, how many of you know you're not particularly righteous? And, and that doesn't mean that we're not doing our very best, but we know that we all, as the scripture says, we all fall short of the glory of God, that, that we don't quite live up to really what even we desire to do. We want to live righteous lives. But because God declares us so, it should really make us want to be that. You know, if we're going to go to heaven, why don't we just live like that? You know, why don't we live to be more like what he says that we are? Our call to worship comes to us from Psalm 34. David knew full well, uh, if anybody did, that he fell short of the glory of God. And in Psalm 34, David, this is a psalm he wrote uh, when he was running for his life. It's actually one he wrote right before uh, Psalm 52, which is what we're going to talk about today. These Psalms are connected, and that's why I chose it for our call to worship. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord, and the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. David had just been very much so humbled. He had to act like he was a crazy person and have drool coming out the side of his mouth to keep from being killed uh, by Achish, the Philistine king in the city of Gath. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, he says, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. David was taken prisoner uh, by the Philistines and God literally delivered him from what they may have done with him in his possession that day was also the sword of Goliath. Do you think that would sort of be a, a, a good identifier of who he was? Uh, and I don't know if he threw it in the weeds or what he did, because uh, it doesn't mention that they got it from him, but uh, he had it on that day. I saw the Lord, he heard me, he delivered me from all my fears. They looked upon him and they were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. 
The poor man, the poor man here is him. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps about them that fear him and delivers them. David cries out in verse 8 and says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, O ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack, and they suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and the ears are open unto their cry. And the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and he delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and he saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promises of Psalm 34 that David realized in a very peculiar and very particular way, Lord, as he ran for his life from Saul, who was trying to kill him. Lord, none of us are fleeing from uh, a king who is trying to kill us. We're not in hiding somewhere and trying to survive like he is. But Lord God, we are uh, certainly being pursued even by our own flesh, which desires to bring us down, which desires to keep us in uh, the, the, the corral with the swine, eating from the trough. Uh, but you have invited us into your house, Lord. You have given us a beautiful robe to wear, a ring on our finger, Lord. And you have uh, provided a great feast for us. And there is joy in your house because we are here. May we indeed realize who we are and how long we have journeyed to come back to your house. And may we come into it as humble servants, Lord. And you make us your sons again. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In the middle of a bad situation where someone has done you wrong or done something you know is very wrong and seems to be getting away with it, we are often tempted to fall into the trap of anger and despair, right? We see that they've painted you or those that you love the red of evil when you're really not. They've lied, they've caused great hurt to you and others, and yet somehow in the process of doing this, they've made themselves look good. Has anybody ever lived through anything like this? Anybody ever have? I know I have. There are people who find uh, ways to amplify their lives and make themselves look better by doing what? By tearing others down and by falsely characterizing them to others. 
In fact, it seems the evil that these people are doing actually ends up improving their reputation or their position. This is when it gets really badass, you know? You're like, you're like, oh, so they did me wrong and people don't get it. Okay, oh, now they got a promotion, you know? Imagine this happening on your job, Steve, you know? And somebody lies, somebody throws something on you, they put it on you, and now they are above you or whatever, and you're just like, so what are we tempted to do in those times? We're tempted to fall into despair and to be angry. And the only reason we can do that is because we forget what God does for his people. You know, God loves his people. Do you know God is watching everything that goes on in your life? Nothing you say or do seems to change anything. In fact, it makes it worse. You know what ends up happening in those situations? You end up feeling very helpless. And what makes you more helpless is you know you didn't do anything wrong, right? It's just just the way it goes. Now, eventually, if it lasts long enough, you end up start feeling responsible for things you didn't even do. You ever had this happen? Maybe, Maybe enough bad hasn't happened to enough of you to relate to the Psalms. But I can tell you right now, you know, sometimes someone says something bad about you long enough, eventually you start going, am I really that bad? Like, did I, maybe I am, <laughs> you know, maybe I really, you know, all you, all Mark was out for was himself. And you're like, I didn't think I was, but they said it and everyone's believing it. And now it's like, oh, you know, this happens. This is what happens. And to bear responsibility, even when you don't even have any, this is what eventually happens. We go down the wrong road. The confusion and trouble of it all makes it even worse for those who did think well of you because they begin to wonder about you too. And they begin to say, huh, I wonder, maybe he did do that. I mean, you know, he's not perfect. Probably he did it. Now, you know, this is being played out daily and I'll remove it away from us personally because it's maybe a little too painful to think about us personally. But this is being played out daily in the headline news and on social media. You see it every single day, right? This person is a racist and they hate all black people and they want to see them in chains. Okay. And, and of course the people who it's being said about are like, what, you know, like I've never really thought that way. I've never thought, but they're like, yeah, he's a racist. Oh, he's definitely a racist. Right. How many have seen people being called names on social media and in the news like this? You're a racist. You're a bigot. You're a homophobe. You're a xenophobe. You're, you're nasty, you know? And, and so they say these things, and this is going on. They do this while themselves fomenting racism where the fires of things have faded out. I really don't believe that we're living in a nation that is overrun with racial hatred. I don't understand how anyone could think it when you know, 40 to 50 million Americans voted for a black president. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't have done it, but then, then the, the racists say, well, they did it because they felt bad. You know. I literally had come to a place in my life where I don't really think about people being black or white or whatever in, a, in any kind of a negative way. I mean, sometimes, you know, you have to say, oh, I met this guy the other day and you, you know, maybe you're describing him or something. And one of his characteristics is that, but we can't even say that. We can't even say that the man we met was Asian or that he was black or that he was Hispanic. No, that's being racist. No, it, it really doesn't have to be. It can just be like, 
you know, a matter of identification. Like, you know, over at the dry cleaner, oh, you know, the black guy that works over there, there might be only one. So you might say, you know, the black guy that works in the place. You're not, you're not a racist because you notice what color a person is. It's just something to notice. You, you could say the super tall guy or the short guy or the skinny guy. I mean, I hate when people refer to me, you know, that fat guy over there. Like, I don't really like that. I don't know why that's not racist. I'm, I'm, I'd like to start a, you know, a whole thing on that, you know, the fat guy. What, what, you know, now the real racists end up becoming the poster children though, in these situations for racial equality, the ones who are always talking about race and always wanting everyone to think about race, they end up be, they're the racists, right? They're always going, you know, black people think this way. Like that's the most racist thing in the world. To say black people, as if because someone's skin is a certain way, they think a certain way. I'm like, well, how does Val think? Val thinks that way? Like, no, he doesn't. Val thinks like us. He lives in our house. He doesn't think like that, right? But we say, well, what black people? Black people are voting for Joe Biden. Are are you voting for Joe Biden? (laughs) He's just Val. He's going to vote for whoever he wants to vote for, right? And so to generalize people as white people in the way of thinking or black people in a way of thinking or whatever can be very, very racist. But the people that are doing this are the people who are calling the other people racist. You might go, now, Pastor Mark, you don't really get political like this. Well, this is, this is not just political. This is just life. We're living this every day. And, and, and people are doing this where they're calling people things that they're not. And it's making them look like they're the righteous ones. This is what's going on here in this psalm. And what went on in the story of the the Edomite uh, Doeg, David and Saul. He's a liar. And he uses something that might be true. Is it true that there are some people that are darker skinned than others? Yes. Is it true that some dark skinned people were slaves? Yes, it was. You know? A lot of people don't know that 30% of the black people that came to America willingly came through immigration. Did you know that? And a lot of the people that are upset, that are black people that are upset, their ancestors came here because they wanted to have religious freedom and they wanted to live in the land of the free and the brave. Did you even know that that was so? And if you think this was made up by right-wing extremists, go down to Cincinnati to about the most liberal place you can go to this little uh, it's called the Civil Rights Museum there, and they will show you how black people immigrated to the United States willingly. So how, to, how can you tell which ones and, and whatever? And, and so anyway, it's a big deal. And, and my whole point is not to talk about racism today, okay? Although race does play a factor in the story. Doeg is an Edomite. We're, we'll get to that. He's a little different race than the others. Now he could have said, you know, They don't believe me because I'm an Edomite. And he's a liar, though. He's a lying Edomite is what he is. Okay? But we'll get to that. Real racists, though, today become poster children for racial equality. And those that want to move on to a world where men are not judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character, as Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed, he said, would happen. Those people are castigated and maligned as sympathizers or even members of the Ku Klux Klan or the Nazi party, right? If, if you say, hey, I'm not a racist, they go, well, you're a Nazi, <laughs> you know. 
You're like, no, no, people aren't, you know, black people and white people don't hate each other. Uh, you're, you're, a con, you're a Nazi and you're a Klan member, you know. In the name of caring for some lives, they take lives. And in the name of giving justice for one group of people, they steal and they burn and destroy what belongs to others. They become brave crusaders and billions of dollars are given to them for the escapades of their destruction. Do you know that Americans gave $1.6 billion to Black Lives Matter in the wake of the George Floyd? And the George Floyd death was grievous and it was disgusting and it's, it's not right. It's not something that I know any human being would be for. Now this has been going on now. These riots have been going on for three months and they are actually getting worse. The other day, this week... $60 million of damage was done in a one little stretch of road in downtown Chicago in one night. $60 million. And they knew. The day before, they're like, they're going to come down here and they're going to cause destruction. And the police even knew they were coming. And they still call $60 million with the damage. The day after, the Black Lives Matters organizer said that this was okay because the looters uh, might use some of this for their own clothing and they might used it to sell and to have food. And anyway, this is reparations. Folks, if you think that that is what the average black person thinks like, you're being fooled. Black people don't think like this. And I'm saying, what I'm saying is there is no such thing as the way black people think. People that I know that have darker skin color are not hoping and praying, all of them are not hoping and praying that they steal all of your stuff and that you pay them back. This is not what they're thinking. It's a small group of people and they're a bunch of liars is what they are. Okay. I know that's strong for a church service on Sunday. I know we don't normally get political, but we're living in this and it's a bunch of nonsense and it's very applicable in our sermon today. Now, this isn't the first time in history we've seen this kind of thing. You know, there's nothing as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. Right? We'll see that David, before he was officially crowned king of Israel, suffered this kind of confusing injustice again and again. He was always trying to be good and trying to do good, and he was always getting accused of doing something wrong, right? Saul says, You're trying to kill me. And he goes, I went in your cave last night. I cut a piece off of your outfit. I could have killed you, but I didn't. I'm your servant. I love you. I'm not trying to kill you. I mean, how's that for, but still yet, did that even solve the problem? Oh, no, no, you're trying to kill me. If I was trying to kill you, I would have killed you. David proved his loyalty. He would not touch God's anointed. He would not raise his sword to Saul. He would not even disparage him because he trusted God. You know, Jesus, the Bible said he didn't open his mouth. What does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus never spoke? Well, we know he did, right? When it says Jesus opened not his mouth, is, we know for a fact Jesus said it is finished. He said, forgive them for they, they know not what they do, right? He said, I thirst. He told a man today, you're going to be with me in paradise. What, so what does it mean that he opened not his mouth? It means Jesus did not defend himself. He did not say, I didn't do it. I I shouldn't be being crucified up here. He didn't do that. He went to the cross without defending himself. Because you see, our defense comes from God. Our vindication will come 
from God, defending yourself oftentimes will just get you deeper and deeper into it. But when David went through this situation, during this time he stopped and he wrote a song to remember it and to teach us what we should know and how we need help from God when these times come to us as well. And this song became Psalm 52, okay? So in the very beginning, in the inspired heading, this is how we know that this is exactly what this is about, just like last week. Last week in Psalm 51, it was, hey, this is the story when, you know, there was Bathsheba and there was Uriah the Hittite and David doing wrong. Like he puts it there. But in this case, he names someone else's who is in sin. It's kind of rough, you know, naming yourself in a song is one thing, but imagine naming somebody else. Like I'm... <laughs> This song is how my friend Steve was so really bad, and, and, and he's a dirty dog, you know. And it's like, wow, okay, that's, that's rough. Well, David is writing a song here, and he said, this is about Doeg, the Edomite. Now, what's important about this to me is I, after reading, Brother Chris, all that Doeg does, I was really, really looking for the part of Scripture where he gets what's coming to him. And guess what's not in there? Not in there. Now, you know he did. But he gets what's coming to him by the very singing of this song. By the, this man was alive when this song was written. This man was not dead. This man, when Israel was singing this song, this man was alive. That's kind of a way of uh, turning the situation around. The inspired heading we learn a lot. We learn, as I have already said, that this is another one of the Psalms of David and that it is like 13 other psalms, which I didn't mention. It is a, a maskil, or I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that word, but M-A-S-C-H-I-L. And it means a lesson or a proverb. There are 13 of these uh, psalms that are meant to, to convey a very singular message, right? You know how like you'll have one of Aesop's fables and it's like in the end you're going to learn don't be lazy, you know, in the end, you're going to learn, you know, don't cry wolf, right? Like you know, the guy that cries wolf, what happens to him? Then when he really has trouble, nobody comes, right? So there's a singular lesson. This is one of the 13 of these maskils, okay? Uh, so far we've done 32 and we've done 42, 44 and 45. They are all singular lesson uh, maskils. They are made for, uh, to teach one particular thing. Now the lesson that God uh, is teaching us through this one is that God is watching. Everybody say, God is watching. He's watching everything that men do. And in the end, things will be made right. That's what the lesson is here. So what does that do for us, Sister Joy? What that does for us is it can really inoculate us against the despair and the anger that comes when it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. It looks like it's not going to happen. No one, they're not going to find out what they did, who these people are. They're getting away with it. Good things are happening for them. And that thing that gets in you that causes you really to be angry about God, because if you believe that God's sovereign and he's in control, who are you going to, who, who does it leave you to be angry with? More particularly, the inspired heading tells us of the very specific situation that he lived through that motivated these words, okay? It says, when Doeg the Edomite came to and told and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Now, you're going to see that part of what, a, what a Doeg says is true. 
And the very, very, very best lies and the very best liars always make a lot of their lie true because they're the best ones. They say things they know, you know, is, you know, this is true. Did David go there? Oh yeah, he did. You know, did he meet a guy named Ahimelech? Oh yeah, he did. But what was going on there? Well, we're going to find out and we're going to go through this story and we're going to see what actually happened in the story. Okay. So the words alone are not by way of explanation, but to lead us to this dastardly deed done by Doeg the Edomite during the life of David. Now the story, as uh, Brother Jeff was trying to help us point out, is that it is in 1 Samuel 21, but it's in 1 Samuel 22 as well. It's a two-chapter story. And in chapter 1, you don't really know how bad what has happened really is. And so I wanted chapter 22 to be read. Incidentally, I told Andy to read James chapter 4. Uh, and he helped me because it was James chapter three. So I don't know how in the universe this all happens. You know, uh, Jeff is like, we should read a different chapter, but no, it was, I had the right one, but then the one I gave Andy was the wrong one. So, you know, there you have it. So it's, I think it was like one of those deals back in the old days, you know, when they had the switchboard and they pull out the little deals and put it in there, you know, and I don't know. So in 1 Samuel 21 and 22 and in, uh, extra biblical literature, there's actually quite a bit more to say, um, which I'm not going to include much of it because it's not that important, but, but Doeg the Edomite in rabbinical literature and in, uh, among the Jewish people, he is a nasty man. He's a villain. Like whenever you say Doeg, it's like everybody gets a snarl on their face. They're like Doeg the Edomite, what a nasty dude, you know, you know, it's kind of like the guy, have you ever heard of someone, uh, he, you know, well, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. So <clears throat> Doeg the Edomite was a dirty dog whose self-importance and his status were promoted above that which was right and just, even above the lives of innocent men. Doeg's life mattered more to him and what he could gain from the lie that he knew would be believed was more important than him, than others. Now this is what you guys have to worry about. This is what we got to think about. The question I'm going to ask is today, do you want to be a green tree? Or a dirty dog. Okay? And so, what dirty dogs do is not what we should do. Amen? And what they do is they look for ways where they can get advantage over other people by saying just the right thing. And I'm telling you, I've seen this happen even among the children of this church. And you got to watch this. And you got to be asking yourself, now I'm not saying, you know, all of you that's ever done this, you're all going to burn in hell. Okay? But I'm telling you that hell is reserved for people who act like this. How many of you want to act like the people that hell is reserved for? Not me. I'm going to heaven and I'm going to act like it. Amen. Amen. All right. So he promoted himself. Okay. Now, because of this, his name was synonymous with greed and self-love among the Jews from this time going forward for the rest, uh, for thousands of years, even until now, if you go, if you know a Jew, uh, and you, uh, someone who knows the word of God and they're part of maybe the Hasidim, uh, or the culture where they're not just secular in their, but, but they're practicing and they read the Bible. Uh, if you say Doeg, they know who he is. He's, he's a villain. He's, you know, you might, you know, he's a bad guy. He's the, he's the Grinch, you know? Uh, what I'm, I'm glad the, the Grinch was reformed, but uh, Edom, it, it, the Doeg Edomite was not. 
His name was synonymous with greed and self-love, okay? And his name became a parable. So do you know what I mean? Do you, you guys ever heard someone say someone's name is mud? That, that came from, and, and, and we won't get into it, the history is not that important, but there was a guy who treated John Wilkes Booth, the guy who assassinated uh, Abraham Lincoln. He, he shoots Abraham Lincoln. He jumps off this balcony in the, in the, in the was it Ford Theater, is that where it was? And he breaks his leg, and he runs off, and Dr. Samuel Mudd treats him. Well, what happened to Samuel Mudd's name after that? His name was... His name was Mud, you know. And so that became a colloquialism or uh, and so-and-so's name has been ruined. So-and-so's name is Mud. You know the term, and I won't get into this, but you know the term that is horrible that happens and has happened in our history, and it's very shameful, of lynching? To be lynched is because there was a man who was so evil and so horrible that he would do this to people, and his name became synonymous. Now, what's interesting is Lynchburg, like as in Lynchburg, Virginia, is actually named after a man who ended the practice because they wanted to remember and they wanted to redeem the name back. And so he was a godly man, and he wanted to do away with the abuse of black people. And so people were so proud of it, they named their town after them, thinking that this positive name would remove this term lynching from our vocabulary. Your name can actually come to mean evil. But Lynchburg doesn't know that. They forgot their history, and so they want to change their name to not Lynchburg because they only remember the first lynch and not the second one. But maybe we'll just... Maybe the, the cure will just be to have history classes for all of America. I'm thinking of writing a book called How Christianity Ended Slavery in the World. Because it would be as true. It's a true book. People don't know this. People think Christians started slavery. What a goofy thing. They don't know their history. They don't know about William Wilberforce and John Newton. And they don't know about the Christian men who fought that they even put in our, uh, in our constitution, in our, uh, in our governing documents, they had intended for there never to be slavery here in the United States. But that's another thing. Anyway, at the very mention of Doug Edomite's name, a picture of a wealthy, smug, ladder-climbing, self-serving man, he comes to mind from, his, from that point forward. He ruined his name. There are just some things you don't name your child. Don't name your child Doeg. Right? Any of you want to name your child Ichabod? No. Don't name your child Doeg, and certainly don't name him Doeg Ichabod, okay? <laughs> if you're writing a book, and you want someone to be really, really, really bad in the book, name him Doeg, Doeg Ichabod. If you get to it before I do, that's fine. He was a wealthy, smug, ladder-climbing, self-serving man. And what he did here in 1 Samuel 21 and 22 advanced him for the moment, but it ruined his name for thousands of years. Here's what he did. David had been anointed king by Samuel, and we know after that that Saul spent many years trying to catch and to kill him. Saul's obsession took over his life, and even uh, it made him seek the life of his good son, Jonathan, who was a very godly young man. He had seen the bravery of David. He had seen the goodness of David and, and he wanted to help David because he saw his dad was going crazy. Well, by this time, by 1 Samuel chapter 20, Saul is wanting to kill his own son as well as David. He's completely obsessed. So David's running for his life. 
So he runs to a place called Nob. And I really am thankful for getting to be the preacher and be the pastor. I, I got to do a lot of research on this, this land of Nob, this place of Nob. Where in the world is this? I mean, what are priests doing there anyway? Well, I'll just do it really quick, just, just for those of you that care about such things. For about 369 years, the tabernacle had resided about 40 miles north of Jerusalem in a place called Shiloh. How many of you have seen churches called Shiloh? Shiloh Baptist, Shiloh. It's called Shiloh because during the time of the judges, uh, from, from through the judges all the way up until Samuel was a little boy, uh, the tabernacle resided in a place called Shiloh. And that's why that name is uh, is known for the worship of God. Well, we know what happens when Samuel's a little boy. What happens? Eli, his sons are evil. God sends the Philistines to judge them. The Philistines kill Hophni and Phinehas, right? And they do what? They take the ark. And so they take Shiloh. And Shiloh is a place of worship in the tabernacle. It's gone. And so they have to set up a new place. Now, they set this new place up. They move it closer into Jerusalem to a place called Nob. And Nob is, archaeologists say they believe it is on a hill overlooking Jerusalem uh, to the north and a little bit to the, uh, to the east. But, but they don't know exactly, but it was really, really close, okay? So this is where David runs. He runs away from Saul, the presence of Saul, all the way to a place near Jerusalem, uh, right next to it, to Nob, Okay? So in his time of trouble, when he had no one to run to, where did he run to? He was running to the house of God. You know, this is what we do. You know what the devil wants us to do when, we, when things get bad, when trouble comes in our life? Stay away from the church. Get away. Don't go. Don't go to church. Don't be around. Don't. No, 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 no. Huh? What does David do? He runs where? He runs to the house of God. Now, he understands that he might be putting them in danger. Now, He's certainly not understanding what an evil man is going to do, but when he gets here, he's not exactly honest, uh, but you can look at it in a number of ways. 1 Samuel 21, David came to Nob and to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid. This is 1 Samuel 21. He was afraid at the meeting of David, and he said unto him, why are you alone? So think of this. Imagine if, like, you know, if all of a sudden Vice President Pence appeared at your house and he's a little disheveled and he's by himself and he doesn't have the secret service with him you're gonna be uh, is there something wrong something going on here david was a very important man he was the son-in-law to king saul and so he's alone and he runs to uh the tabernacle and he comes for refuge for help now he doesn't want to get the priest in trouble by explaining what is going on with him He's just needing some bread to eat and he's needing a sword because he's running for his life. Okay. So David said to Ahimelech, the king hath commanded me a business and he hath said to me, let no man know anything of the business that I send thee about. So he's like, I'm doing something secret for the king. He's not wanting to implicate Ahimelech in what he's doing because he knows it can get Ahimelech in trouble. Um. I have appointed my servants to do such and such, okay? Obviously, David was running for his life and not being honest, but it could have been from a desire not to disparage King Saul. You will see over and over when given the opportunity, David doesn't go, what do you mean this lunatic Saul that's trying to kill me? Everybody knows he's crazy. He's been throwing spears at me for years. He even hates his own son. 
David doesn't do that. If you, if you read the story of David, David always calls him his master, his Lord, his servant. He honors him even when Saul is being ungodly and trying to kill him. David will not kill him and he will not encourage others to do this. Why would David act like that? Was he afraid? He was afraid of somebody, but it wasn't Saul. Who was he afraid of, guys? If you live your life fearing God and not people, you don't have to talk bad about other people. Let God deal with those people. Let God deal with people. God removes people. God deals with people in ways you can't. And when you get involved and you disparage others, who does it make look bad? It makes you look bad. Why? Well, because that's not what good people do. Good people don't go around disparaging people and tearing them down for their own benefit. Now, therefore, David asked him, he says this, he says, what is under your hand? He means, you know, what do you have here that you could help me with? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand. And, and, uh, and so he begins to talk to the priest. The priest said, David, there's nothing here. There's no common bread that I can give you, but there is hallowed bread. And, uh, if the young men have, you know, not been immoral and been with women, uh, then, then I can maybe give you this bread, but otherwise that I can't do that. And David answered the priest and said of a truth, women have been kept from us. And so the the men are holy and they're clean and they're fine. Uh, Verse six. So the priest gave him the bread for there was no bread there, but the show bread that was taken from before the Lord. Uh, So what had happened is they put out bread in the, in the tabernacle. But then when it gets kind of old, kind of like, you know how they do at the store, it's been there a while when they remove it. So David got the bread that had been removed. He didn't eat the bread right off the, the table of showbread in the, t- in the tabernacle. That's not what David did. He was eating the bread that was normally only ever eaten by the priest that was taken off. Now, how do we know this? Because Jesus talks about this. Jesus refers to this. Remember when the disciples are going through and they're on their way somewhere and, and they're hungry and they, they haven't stopped. And so they're ripping off ears of, of, of corn, it says. Now, they actually weren't ripping off ears of corn because corn doesn't grow in Israel. Okay. But what they were doing is they were, you can take uh, wheat berries off the top of wheat or whatever, whether, I don't know what it was. It was some sort of food, but you can eat wheat berries. Have you ever done this? Ever, ever eat wheat berries? You can do it. You can chew them up. It says they were rubbing them in their hands as they went through. And Jesus says, don't you remember what, what David did? And so Jesus even referenced this event. And when he does, he doesn't disparage David for what he did. Uh, he says that what David would did and his men did was, was necessary. He was in an emergency situation. You know, there are things, and, and I won't really get into this today, but there are things that are not the best thing to do, but you can do them. Like we don't work on the Sabbath, right? God says we're going to do all of our work what, on other days of the week, not on the, not on the Lord's day, right? However, if your mule falls in a ditch, what are you going to do? If, you're, if your child gets a big cut, are you not going to take him to the ER and let a doctor do his work of sewing him up? Of course you are. You can do works of necessity and mercy. And so in this case, David wasn't doing anything wrong by getting some of this bread. Now it says, verse 7, a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. And you know, every word of God is put in there for a reason. And when I read something like that, now, why did I have to say that? He just said he was there, right? But it doesn't say he was there. It said a certain man of the servants of the Lord that was there that day, where? At the temple, or at the tabernacle, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg the Edomite, and he was the chiefest, everybody say chiefest. He was the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And you might go, now, 
Pastor Mark, I think pointing out that he was the chiefest is, is, is insignificant. Are any words of God insignificant? No. And so there's something going on here that, that, is, that you can see in the language here, okay? He, here enters the villain Doeg, okay? Take note that God has made sure that he was there. And I even looked this up in the Hebrew because I, was, I thought maybe it was just a turn of phrase. But no, it says that God specifically stopped him, like he detained him. He was at the tabernacle and he was going to leave, but God saw to it through some means. We're not sure that Doeg was there when David came up and said, hey, Ahimelech, can you help me out? God made sure he was there. It says that he was the chiefest among the herdsmen of Saul. He wasn't just a guy who kept the cattle, but he was a guy who had wormed his way to the top of the heap among the other herdsmen, no doubt politicking all the way. Now, you might be thinking that I'm making too much of this, but I really believe this is the essence of what kind of man this was because when we get into the psalm, you will see this is what is being said about him and when you see what he does. The ungodly enjoy being in positions of power and influence, not because they can serve the people, but because they can enjoy being over others and having influence that others do not uh, that others don't have, and they can make things more like they like them. They can make it more suitable to what they enjoy. Okay? If you remember, Jesus uh, slammed the Pharisees. He says, you love to have the what? You love to have the preeminence. You love to sit in the good seat. You love to sit at the best tables. Now, is it wrong to sit at a good table? No. Is it wrong to aspire? The Bible says if a man aspires to certain positions, even within the church, he desires a good thing. There's nothing wrong with being in an honorable thing. It's not, it's not wrong to be a judge or to want to be the leader of a land or the elder of a church. But there are, uh, there, there's a way to do that where God is promoting you and another way where you are promoting yourself. And you will see that this man was the kind of self-promoter that... Was, was always looking for a way to put somebody down so that he could do what? He could take a step higher. This is part of human nature, and it's something that we might be tempted to do. And we should answer to someone else, even in something as small as a friendship. You know, one of the, one of the strange things I, 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 that, that I've seen in this church among the children, and it may be, you know, maybe not be unique, it may be everywhere, is that there are people who vie to be so-and-so's very best friend. You know, they want to be number one on their speed dial. Not number two, not number three. They want to be their exclusive best, best friend. And you know what? To want to be close to someone, to love them, to have a close relationship, that's fine. But, but what you're willing to do to get there is another. Well, you know what? I see that they like so-and-so, or I see that they're with them. Well, what I got to do is I got to tear them down. I got to create a situation where I am thought of better. And I'm telling you, this is not godly, and it's not the best thing to cultivate. It's what it means to be a dirty dog. Okay? God promotes us. The Bible says He exalts who? The humble. The Bible says if you want to sit in the good seat, He's not bad that you want to sit there, but... Be sit in the low seat, for it's better to be asked to come up hither than to do what? Than to be told to go down. So it's not that it's wrong. You know, someone said, you know, Pastor Mark, I want to be the pastor one day. And, and I'm like, really? He said, because all of the honor that you get, I want that. And I'm like, wow, I hope you never get there. 
Like, that's not the reason that you... Now, to be honored and to appreciate it and to, and to love it and, and to enjoy the blessings of God is good. But if you are pursuing leadership so that you can be honored, it's not the right motivation. And this is the kind of man Doeg was. He was a man who was motivated by his desire to make things how he wanted them. We need to take note of this in our own lives and see this king, uh, this kind of thing, uh, roaring its ugly head in our life. And we got to say, uh-uh, we're not doing that. Okay. We need to be green trees, not dirty dogs. All right. We need to be fruitful, life-giving plants of the Lord and not self-seeking dogs of our flesh would have us to be. You see, when we seek our own, you know what we're going to get? That's what we're going to get. And it's not going to be good anyway. So now another thing, Doeg, it seems, would have left before David arrived, but somehow God delayed his departure and he was detained to the Lord. Now this is difficult for us to understand and deal with, but Doeg being there was part of God's plan. Another thing that inoculates us against this bitterness and anger that can come to us is knowing that God is a part of these difficult things that are happening in our lives. God could have just as easily seen to it that Doeg was not there, right? And honestly, when I read the story, if I were going to judge God, I would say, God, you really messed up here. Because as a result of Doeg being here, 85 men of God were cut up with a sword. Right? Would that have happened had Doeg not been there? You know, the Bible says God's thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways and they're past finding out. I can't, I, it would be hard pressed to get any of you to say this was a good idea. Now we know because God had it happen, it was good. But I can tell you, actually, I don't know what good could it possibly be. But guess who does? God. You see, God thinks of things not in the same way that we do. We think of things in the right now. But the Bible tells us our lives are but a vapor. They're very short. And that what happens in this life, uh, you know, Brother Ryan, it's not exactly all the most important thing in the world. That's why a man can go and die for what is right on the mission field and say, hey, you know what? The very best thing that happened is that I got killed. In heaven, he's kind of like, you know what? I got to die. And when I did, it turned the hearts. I mean, if you read the story of William Carey and when his, his wife dies and, and his son dies and there's a point in the story, it's horrible. He's running the buzzards off of the bodies of his children and his wife. And you're thinking, was God there? Yeah, he was there. Do you know what happened to the people? The people began to see he loved them so much. He was willing to give up his wife. He was willing to give up his son. And he was still going to stay there. And it broke the hardness of these people's heart. And they said, he must love us. In this book that I have that, that I hope to reprint, it wasn't until this man got appendicitis and he was dying in the middle of the jungle. He felt so bad. He said, could you please just set me here and let me die? His, his body was so tender from the inflammation in his side. And he's, he's, he's you know, 8,000 miles from home. He's got appendicitis. You know what's going to happen. He knows he's probably going to die. And they're carrying him. And, they're try- and as they do, they're, they're going up and down hills. And could you imagine like having this tenderness and you feel like you're going to explode? Because that's what happens to an appendix. It explodes inside your body. He says, could you please just set me down so I can die? And in this book, he said, you know what? He said, these people... From that day forward, 
treated me differently because they because something happened. So it was his suffering. It seems like to not make any sense, but his suffering broke the hard-heartedness of these people in the Chin Hills, and he began to see their heart. This is an amazing thing, how God, through our suffering, through our difficulty, through our pain, and through great loss, does something amazing. So David said to Ahimelech, Is there not under thy hand a spear or a sword? For I have neither brought my sword or weapons, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Eli, behold, it's here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. And if you will take that, take it, for there is none other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. Now, you know, there's something worth pointing out here. You know, when you read these kinds of stories and you don't think of them as actual real stories, you don't, you don't really get into the meat of it. But if, Tim, if you owned the sword of Goliath, would you give it to anybody? No way. Even, even if you had known David, you'd be like, you know what, I, I'm going to hold on to that. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it must have been beautiful and uh, valuable. And it, was our, it had already become like a part of their nation's identity like we've got the sword of Goliath I mean what they had it kept right here at the tabernacle like ah, this cut the head off of the biggest dude the Philistines had that the Philistines ever cut to the tabernacle I'm gonna hold the sword of Goliath and go Whoa, cut your head off too you know but here we see in this priest a very generous and helpful man not holding back even the bread that he could have said. You know what he could have said? He could have said, you know what? This really is only meant for people, you know, who are in the priesthood. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, it probably wouldn't be right to give you, you know. And, and you know what? I really don't have anything on hand I can give you. But because you know, I mean, all I've got, the sword of Goliath, but you can't have that. Right? Right? You ever been around people like this? Like they can help you, but they won't? They have things, they have ways of, of helping you in your situation. And they're just like, you know, I would like to help you. That's generally the first thing that comes out of a mouth of someone who isn't going to help you. I would like to help you. And you go, no, you wouldn't. If you'd like to help me, you would help me, uh, but you're not. So in this generous and helpful act, not holding back the holy bread or even the trophy of Goliath's sword, for it certainly would have been a novelty alone besides its value in itself, uh, it, it certainly was an amazing, it, it would have been an amazing weapon. Sometimes when all we have to give is too valuable to give, sometimes we need to give it away anyway. That's something really God was speaking to my heart. You know, when all we have to give is, seems too valuable to give away, maybe we should have been like a Himalek and we should give it away anyway. When things are too valuable, they're not too valuable so that we keep them for ourselves. It's not what Ahimelech did in David's time of need. And I'll tell you what, Ahimelech, the Bible shows as a good man. When he's questioned later, as, as, as we know, when he's questioned later, he tells the truth. Yes, David came. Yes, I gave him bread. Yes, I gave him a sword. He tells the truth. He doesn't lie, even to save himself. He's honest with his king. As the story continues to 1 Samuel 22, uh, we heard Jeff read in our readings, David by now had escaped to the cave of Adullam uh, after a close call in Gath where he's having to act crazy and he's almost taken by, uh, taken in and dealt with by the, the, the Philistines. 
he escapes Achish and he goes to this cave. David therefore departed and escaped to the cave of Adullam. His brother and his fathers heard it. And he went down thither. Everyone that was in the distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented gathered themselves to him. And he became captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Now David seems to be gaining support. It seems to him that what has happened at Nob was a distant dream of his trouble. David gets his parents safely tucked away from Saul's wrath. And the prophet Gad even helps David as God speaks to him through the prophet telling him where to go. Now, all was well with David, but the priest that helped David was not safe, but he didn't know it. So when Saul heard, this is 1 Samuel 22, 6, when Saul heard that David was discovered, the men that were with him, Saul abode in Gibeah under the tree and Ramah, having a spear in his hand and all of his servants that were standing about him. Saul's ready for battle. He's ready to be betrayed. He's ready to fight. He's angry. Saul said to his servants that stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make all of you captains of thousands and, and hundreds and all of you that conspired against me? There is none that showed to me the son. Uh, my son has made a league with the son of Jesse, and there is none that is sorry for me or even shows me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait at this day. And so he's complaining. No one's on my side and no one's helping me. And, and so... What does Doeg the Edomite see here but a great opportunity? No one's helping. I think I want to help. What's, what, when no one is helping the king and you raise your hand to help the king, do you think it's going to work out good for you? Oh, yeah. No one will help the king. No one knows any dirt. No one knows any real information. No one can help me get, get back with my, uh, against all my enemies who are trying to get me. And Doeg's like, oh, but I'm here. And Doeg devises an evil plan. Now, like I said, Doeg does say things that are true, but he also lies. I'm the king. I can do great things for you. I can promote you to high office, give you status and wealth. Could some of you help me? And Doeg is right there because that's what he wants. He wants more than anything, more advancement. And I believe in 2 Samuel or 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 9, God emphasizes this again. Remember I said earlier in, in, in the 21st chapter, how it says he's the chiefest among the herdsmen, right? Here it says something similar to this here. Not only was he chief among the herdsmen, he was chief among all the servants. Then answered Doug the Edomite, God puts this in here, which was set over the servants of Saul. See how that's thrown in there? There's this picture of this guy wants to get his way up to the top. He already had a high place in, in Saul's kingdom, but he wanted even more. This is the way men are, okay? He was willing to do what he could do to advance himself, no matter what the cost it might be to others. Remember, he was there and he had saw, he had, he had seen uh, what really happened. So then answered Doeg, Meg the Edomite, Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab. And he inquired of the Lord for him. Now, when we read the story, does it say that he did that? Did he inquire of the Lord? I don't know if he did or he didn't. The, the version that Jeff read kind of sounds like maybe he might have, but it certainly doesn't say that he did. And I actually don't think that he did. Why would God sing Gad to him to tell him anything if he already had inquired of the Lord at, at the tabernacle? But that's, that's something that we don't really know. But I believe he's lying here, okay? 
And I believe that what he's doing is he is, he is pretending and he is playing on the anger of Saul in very, a very devious way. There are people who can tell the truth. And even when they tell the truth, they make the truth a lie. Do you know what I'm talking about? I saw Josh talking to Jonathan. Now, what, it, it can mean nothing, right? But, but if I know that you're worried that Josh is going to tell Jonathan something, all I have to do is go, I saw Josh talking to Jonathan. Now, did I hear anything he said or do I know he did anything wrong? No, but what am I doing? I am wanting you to believe that I know something you don't know. And I believe that what's going on here is that Doeg is trying to say there was a conspiracy to overthrow you, which I saw, and Ahimelech was part of it. And that's what he says here. He intimates this in such a deceptive way that it's actually even hard to see. But what he did is terrible and evil and self-promoting and ungodly, and God's word bears this out. People like this take the truth and they add to it for their own benefit. He knew what his false accusation would mean for Ahimelech. You know, he knew. I mean, do you think Ahimelech was going to, that King Saul was going to be happy? What did he know was going to happen to Ahimelech? He was going to die. You don't just meet with the king's enemy and give him some bread and a sword and think that that's going to be okay. Uh, do you think Doeg cared what was going to happen to Ahimelech? Mm-mm. Do you know there are things you know that might be true that you should not say? But what did he know? He knew, he knew what would happen if he did. You know, if, you don't, if this guy finds out about this, you know what he's going to do? <laughs> he's going to go crazy. So then what do you do? You make sure that he finds out. This is what people do who do not think of others, who do not love others, who but love themselves. Okay? Just having the news. Sometimes people love to have the inside scoop. They love to know the news. They don't care about people. You got to watch who you talk to about what you talk about with them. Knowledge can hurt people. And the, and the right knowledge, even if it's true, should not even be told. The priest did not inquire of the Lord according to what is stated in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And he must have heard how David... Now, if he was there and he saw what happened, he must have heard what David said, right? Didn't David go... I'm out here on an errand from, from the king. He knows what I'm about. It's all good. If he was there and he saw everything, he heard that, right? But does he tell that part of the story? You see, this is what a liar does too. A liar doesn't tell everything he knows. Right? You know how they play the video clip online, Andy? And they play the part that says blank, blah, blah, blah. And they leave out the other? That's lying too. Well, you know, so-and-so said... And you're the little recorder whose words come out of your mouth, but you don't tell him the other thing he said too. You know, God sees this. See, you, you know, who could ever unsort it all? I can't, but God does. Ahimelech had no reason to doubt him when David spoke to him. Ahimelech was innocent and doing knew that. The filthy dog that he was, he was a scumbag to the highest degree. But not unlike... All of those of his breed, always looking for a way to advance themselves on the backs of others. And he had a place to do it right here, and he took this opportunity. The king, 
called Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitheb. His father's house, the priests were there at Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. They're here. you got 85 men standing here that are priests of God. Here now, the son of Ahitheb. Here I am, Lord. And he began to examine him. Why have you conspired against me? So why is he thinking he's conspiring? Because Doeg's made him think it. He could have just said, hey, I saw him and he was there. He might be on his way somewhere else. No, he led him to believe that, that uh, the priest was, Ahimelech was in on it. Why have you conspired against me? And the son of Jesse has given him bread and a sword and inquired of the Lord that he should rise up against me. See how he's adding to this here? To lie and wait. Where did he get this idea? It seems that in saying that Ahimelech inquired of the Lord, he had intimated the priest had told him that God wanted him to rise up against Saul, to lie in wait with the sword that he had given him. Even an accusation can be deadly, even if it's not true. If it's told in a sly enough, in a convincing enough manner, well, we know, we know how much he likes ice cream. It was him. We know how at other times he did this. So he might have done it this time. Like, do you know how people can do this? They, they, they get you. They, they get you to believe them because they're sly. It was true that he gave him bread. It was true that he had given him a sword. It was true that, that he had an ephod and he could have inquired of the Lord. And he could have conspired against them. That's true. He could have. But sometimes all that it, that's all it takes for some people to believe the lies. Sometimes they want the lie to be true so they can do what they already want to do. And this is another thing. Folks, sometimes you hear something from others and you really shouldn't believe it. But sometimes we want to believe it. You know, they're out to get you, Chris. And you're like, I knew it! I knew it! Well, you're already in the wrong place because that's not where you start. You're like, now how do you know that? And are you sure? And and is it so? You see, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And when you're already mad about something, you need to be careful about what you believe from others. You are in a very vulnerable place. This is what, what Doeg did made it so evil. He knew what Saul wanted. He knew enough of the facts to use the whole situation for his own promotion, no matter what it costs anybody else. Verse 14, Ahimelech answered the king and he said, who is faithful among the servants of David, the king's son-in-law that goes to thy bidding? What is he doing? He's praising David. He's thinking they have a good relationship and he's being honest. He said, this is, he has a question mark. That's why I don't know. He says, did I then begin to inquire, uh, to inquire of God for him? He's saying, there's been other times he's been involved in that. Why would I quit doing it now? Be it far from me. Let not the king impute anything into his servants, nor all of the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of this, less or more. He's telling the truth. He declared his innocence and his words were true. But Doeg, who had told him what he had wanted to hear. So who was he going to believe? What Doeg had to gain from it. What did, what did Doeg have to gain from lying? Saul might have asked himself. Well, not much. Not much by comparison. I mean, if Ahimelech lies, he's going to not be killed, right? But what does Doeg have to gain? All he had to gain was a little bit of promotion and a little bit of wealth and a little bit of importance. But it was what he wanted. Isn't that ugly? I know. I mean, who wants to deal with an ugly psalm like this? But it's what went on. The whole psalm is this. Most, ver- most of the verses are about how nasty Doeg is. We'll get to it. We, wanna, we don't have to spend long because you're hearing it right now from me. He had, Doeg had very little to gain 
But gaining a little, he didn't need much. He just needed more. Even Saul couldn't imagine a deed so despicable, but his anger within him was causing him not to think clearly. You know, when we're mad, we get overcome with our own anger and we don't reason very well. Someone taught me years ago, whenever you're angry, do not make an important decision. Don't do it. This has been a very wise counsel. James 1.20, the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. I'm very glad the times that people have really, really got me worked up or I have worked myself up in my own sin, whatever, that I go, okay, the thing I'm wanting to do right now, I better just not do that. We could all learn this from Facebook. (laughs) The tool available to everyone to let their anger fly in a moment's notice at any moment. So the king says to Ahimelech, thou shalt surely die, thou and thy father's house. Now, you know what? Doeg may have not have thought, wow, he's going to kill them all like Ahimelech did bad, but he wants to kill them all. But when he finds out, he doesn't then recant. He doesn't go back and go, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, I heard him say that he didn't. I mean, he could have helped, but he doesn't. He has a chance. Now we're going to kill you and all of your entire family. And Doeg stands by and goes, wow, this is actually turning out better than I thought. The king said to the footmen, turn, slay the priests of the Lord. But their hand also, because their hand is also with David. And because they knew when he fled and they did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand upon the priests of the Lord. Folks, even they had sense enough to know. Even Saul's servants knew this wasn't right. To kill a man at the word of only one man. To kill his entire family. Because someone said that he did what the man is denying himself. So the king in his rage is mad. He turns to Doeg to do his dirty work. This was his kind of thing. Doeg never mind to get dirty to get a little advancement in his life. He didn't mind getting a little innocent blood on his hands. The Bible says that, that evil men run swiftly to shed innocent blood. And Doeg himself kills 85 unarmed priests of God. I mean, seriously? I mean, even, even the Nazi Germans... You know, uh, shoot the priests. They're like, I don't know about that. I'm not doing that. You know, like, you know, refuse some orders in World War II to shoot priests, but not Doeg. He was a dirty, dirty dog. He turned to Doeg, fall upon the priest, and Doeg did it. He turned on them, he fell on them, the priests, and he slew them. Okay, you know, testifying is one thing, Andy. You know, like you're in court and you testify that someone did bad is one thing, but then when they get sentenced to death, you're the one who testified against them and you know you're a liar and you kill them? <laughs> this guy's a bad guy. He slew four score and five persons that did not wear a linen ephod. In fact, you know what? He may have never imagined and he may have found himself so deep in his own sin. And this is what sin will do. You think you're just getting a little advancement and you end up getting covered with the blood of 85 men. And I think that was part of his punishment from God. He did, I just can't imagine anyone could have delighted in such a thing. Then, not only did they do that, they went to Nob, the city, and they killed the women, the children, the babies, the oxen, the asses, the sheep at the edge of the sword. And only one son of the priest survived. Killed the entire town. Isn't that disgusting? David sorrowed over the death of these men as though their deaths had come because of him. The godly sorrow, even when they 
were not to blame, but the wicked. The godly sorrow, even when they are not to blame. David was sorry and it really wasn't his fault. But the wicked care not, even when their own hands are covered in innocent blood. This is when David wrote Psalm 52. Are you kind of with him now? It's short. It's straightforward. And I'm going to read it through and I'm going to put somebody's name in here because it belongs. And then I'm going to quickly go through these verses. There's only nine. Why boastest thyself in mischief, O mighty man? Doeg. The goodness of God endures continually. The tongue divides dies mischief like a sharp razor working deceitfully but doeg thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness doeg thou lovest all devouring words thou deceitful tongue god shall likewise destroy thee doeg forever he shall take away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living the righteous also shall see and fear and he shall laugh at you doeg Lo, Doeg, this is the man that made not God his strength, they will say, but he trusted in the abundance of his riches and he strengthened himself in his own wickedness. But then David says, as he ends this short song, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God and I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever and I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it and I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. In verse 1, he says, God's, he says, Why boast thou thyself, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. God's goodness is not diminished one bit by your evil deeds or by the evil deeds of others. Everyone will bear the reproach of their sins who has not placed them on Christ. Verse 2, the tongue deviseth mischief like a sharp razor. You know, the, and you can, you can see this in the Hebrew if you look into it, but he's talking about a razor. A razor cuts and you don't even know you're being cut. This is what the evil, sly, uh, divisive person does. They cut you. The sharp sword, the arrowhead. People, when, when someone goes and they run their finger paw along the edge of a sword to see if it's sharp, they're being cut, but they don't even know it. Until what? Until the blood is running, Right? And oftentimes, a deceitful tongue is like this. This is what the lying tongue that sets on fire the world, as James tells us, as they read for us from James chapter 3. People of God, I'm calling on us all today to forsake lying and hold to the truth, to not be tempted to a life that advances yourself. It will be your own downfall as it was Doeg's. God is watching us all. And I'm asking us all today, will you be a green tree or a dirty doeg, a dirty dog. I can tell you what I want to be. What do you want to be, folks? I want you to confess it with me. I want to be a green tree. I want to be a green tree. Verse 3, Thou lovest evil more than good, lying rather than speakest righteousness. John warns us not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. I remember uh, when I got little kids, and I started seeing that that they would love a toy more than they would love their brother. I remember just being grieved by that. Like, you ever see little kids do this and you're like, what is wrong with them? And well, what's wrong with them is that they love that thing more than they love their brother or their sister. They, you took my thing and you know, and you see, and you're like, what is going on here? John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the father is not in him. You see, Doeg loved the chief places. Doeg loved money. He loved wealth. He loved importance. He loved people to think of him well. He liked to be honored by people. He did not love others. For all that is in the world, that position or that thing, 
the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but of the world. But people of God, the world is going to pass away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God shall abide forever. There is no thing, no position or post or status, no friendship worth loving more than you love others. Worth lying to get because what you have in your hand will be like the sand that will come through your fingers. All these things will pass away one day, but he that does the will of God will abide forever. So will you be a green tree who loves God and not the world or a dirty doe egg who loves stuff more than people? The green trees of life abide forever, but the wood, hay, and stubble of those that live on lies will surely be burned. Revelation 21 8 says, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Verse 4, thou lovest devouring words, Doeg, the deceitful tongue. Folks, we should love the beautiful truth of God's words that they may not seem to get you what you want in the right now, but be sure that your sins will find you out like they did Doeg. All came to know him for what he was. We did in this song. We're still talking about, you know, I love the fact that we're still talking about the widow who gave her my... I love it that we're still talking about the boy who gave his loaves and fishes. But folks, we're still talking about a man who wanted advancement for himself. And he did it on the backs and the lives and the loss of others. Verse 5, God shall likewise destroy thee, Doeg. He shall take away and pluck thee out of the dwelling place, root you out of the land of the living. For triple emphasis about what God would do to Doeg, he says that God would destroy him, take him away, you know, like they took, you know, they, they destroy cities back then and then they would take the people that lived and they would move them to a new city across the world. He's going to destroy your town. He's going to take you away, pluck you out of your house and root him out of the land of the living. This is a bleak warning indeed and reminiscent of Psalm 1. Now, if you know Psalm 1, say it with me because Psalm 1 says this truth as plain as anything does. Who can say Psalm 1 with me? You ready? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. O God, make us green trees today, fruitful trees, abiding trees in the garden of God, trees of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nation, as it says in Revelation 22. 2. How many of you want to be a green tree like that? I do. I certainly do. Smite that dirty dog within your own breast that longs for promotion, for status, for what belongs to others. And raise us up, O God, delightful. Make us have shade and peace in the kingdom of God. Verse 6, the righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. You will be a warning or a proverb to others like Ananias and Sapphira were to the early church if you live a life like Doeg. In Acts chapter 5, Remember how that both Ananias and Sapphira died after they lied to Peter. Peter said, what a, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to, to pretend you're giving money that you're really not giving? Why? Do you want to be a proverb like that? 
That's what your future will be if you promote yourself through your own lies and deceit. Is this what you want for your life? I know you don't. You want to be a green tree. That's what I want to be. I want to be a green tree. Lo, this man that made his, not God his strength, they will say. He trusted in the abundance of his riches and he strengthened himself in his wickedness. Doeg's undoing came when he looked at all that he had and felt secure in it like it would keep him safe, like it insulated him from his worst fears like it could never do. Wealth does not have the power to add one day to our lives or to keep sickness or harm from approaching us. Only God has the power to do that. And trusting in anything other than God is idolatry and will not be tolerated by God. In verse 8, David said, I am a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. And if you want, like me, to be a green tree, we will have to put our trust in the mercy of God and nothing else. When you do this, you will tell the truth and you will not lie and you will let the die be cast on how it may. You know, God's in charge of that too. You know, when, 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 when Jonah was in the boat and they cast lots to find out who needed to be thrown overboard, then God had the lot fall to who? To Jonah. When they were trying to choose a new disciple to replace uh, Judas who had sold his birthright for 30 pieces of silver, his friendship with the world was, uh, was, was sealed in this. How did they replace him? They cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. You know, whether or not the lot is cast, or whether you're thrown overboard or chosen to be God's follower, let God, who is sovereign, decide what happens with us rather than us trying to make it happen for ourselves. When you do this, that's what it means to be a green tree and not a dirty dog. Trust God to promote you. Trust God to give you the friends that are best for you. Trust God to bless you with what will not spoil your life. Be a green tree in the garden of God. Verse 9, I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it, and I will wait upon thy name, for it is good before thy saints. Be a green tree, swaying in the winds of God's praise, lifting up his name and not your own. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the power of this psalm, Lord, to correct our hearts for the wretched sinner that lives in there, that wretched man of the, the flesh, that carnal man, that old man that somehow still speaks to us and tries to get us to put ourselves first, to, to, uh, to follow after the way of Doeg. Help us, Lord God, not to do that, but to desire, as David said he wanted to be, to be the green olive tree in the house of the Lord. Let, us, let that be our desire, to be the green tree in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.